recording the class for the sake of having it available as an audio file online. Um, and so just thought I'd make you aware of that. And then having said that, um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the sort of the rationale for the class and then have us make it just some quick introductions um, in a way that's sort of connected to our, um, to our discussion. So this is a class on place, essentially. Um, some of you at least know that last year I taught a class on time. And so uh, these two obviously kind of go together. And um, I think I, I'll spend a little bit of time at the outset here today sort of explaining why it's worth taking time to think about place, um, and especially to reflect on it morally and theologically. Um, I, I thought I might read the description of the class. And so we don't have a syllabus. The nice thing about this is you just show up and listen, and then you don't have any assessments or homework or anything of the sort. And uh, I hope that's kind of liberating. It gives us the opportunity to at least just um, uh, think and, and think for thinking's sake. But uh, in the class description, I alluded to uh, Simone Weil, whose uh, work we'll think about a little bit more in a moment. Uh, but she writes that to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. And I think that's one of the most direct um, phrasings of this, articulations of this idea of the importance of place uh, to the human person that I, that I could have found. Um, and we'll, we'll unpack a little bit about what she means there, and, and we'll see the rest of uh, what she says in context. But then I, I go on to say that as embodied creatures, our lives unfold in relation to a pair of fundamental realities, time and place. In other words, because we are material beings, uh, creatures with bodies, we are in place and we are in time. And that our flourishing uh, then depends on achieving uh, what we might think of as a well-ordered relationship to both. And so I'm, I'm taking the view of the human person, the idea of human flourishing, as involving a set of sort of rightly ordered relationships um, and not just relationships to other people, which is the way that we usually think of that word, um, although that's obviously clearly important, uh, but also relationships to things like time and to place. And, and with regards to time, I think it was a little easier for me to make this case because we sort of immediately kind of feel that something's off with the way that we relate to time, right? We always feel sort of hurried and rushed, like we don't have enough time. Um, memory is such an important part of who we are, how we relate to the past, that it's, it's easy to sort of appeal to that as a, a kind of a important topic with, with moral and, and maybe even spiritual significance. Um, the relationship to place might be a little tougher to sort of conceive, but I think at the same time, uh, the, the title of the class, which actually Dr. Horner suggested in our conversations about it, uh, suggests some kind of disorder with regard, regards to place. Um, and the idea that we are displaced, that it's hard for us to feel like we have a place. And maybe the, the, the kind of large concept that most readily kind of gets at this is the idea of home. Where is home? What is home? What is the relationship between, between home and my identity? Uh, and then there are immediately sort of spiritual resonances as well. The idea of home, not just as a place for the body, for our material self, uh, but also a kind of home for the soul. The idea that to, to be on a journey is sort of fundamental even to the Christian understanding of the self. All of these, I think, are, are very closely and intimately related. Um, and so the idea that we, we can have better or worse relationships to place, that there is such a thing as being displaced physically, morally, and spiritually, 
and then having found our place. We, we even say that a lot, don't we? That I know my place, I found my place. Uh, speaking in, in a way of sort of belonging to a community, belonging to a family, belonging to um, a certain institution. And that metaphor suggests something, I think, about the, the significance of place. And also how we metaphorically, and I allude to this in the description, we, we sometimes speak about times of moral and spiritual crisis as, as the experience of being lost. Not just lost um, in terms of directions, I can't find my way to this building, but, but that that becomes an experience of, or excuse me, that becomes a, a way of talking about even a moral and spiritual situation. Uh, so again, the, these relationships among our sense of physical place, kind of moral place, and then even a spiritual place, I think are deeply interconnected. So I go on to say that unfortunately, modernity or the modern world, the world we all share, uh, conspires against our rootedness in place. And part of the first couple of weeks of the class after today will be a discussion of the ways in which we do get displaced, the way we have a hard time getting a, our bearings in place. And that has a lot of different um, sources and, and there are a lot of factors that contribute to that. Um, I, you know, I list some of these here, the, the habits of thought and affection generated by digital media for one. Um, and in a moment I may say a little bit more about my own background, but it does involve sort of thinking about the moral consequences of technology. Um, and, and so even the fact that we spend a lot of our lives mediating our lives through, the, through our screens tells us something about how we relate to place, right? Even from the simple fact that if I am navigating my place, my way to a place with GPS, it encourages a kind of detachment from place. Uh, and the fact that when I am online, if I ask myself, where am I? It, multiple answers become possible. Um, there, there are complex relationships there to place that are generated by our experience of, of digital media. We'll look at some of those more closely. I mentioned uh, the homogenization of commercial landscape, right? So uh, I'll, I'll mention this more than once, but you know that there's a lot of construction going on behind us here. Um, and if you're new to the area, uh, that was a pretty, uh, one of the things that was torn down uh, to make now some space for apartments was the Swamp, a, a pretty popular restaurant here in Gainesville with its own history. And I was overhearing um, Nora Avery, our secretary, our administrative assistant, um, who was at the zoning meeting when all of this was being planned. And the company that's developing this and, and uh, building these uh, apartments is not a local company. And apparently they go around sort of doing this in college towns. And she mentioned how when they were showing the slides of what the building would look like, um, somebody, a community member in the audience said, well, well this, this is totally out of character with the architecture of Gainesville, the architecture of the university because all of their buildings look exactly the same, whether they are building it in uh, Tallahassee or whether they're building it in Auburn or whether they're building it in New York or here, their buildings look the same. Uh, and the response was something like, well, uh, she, Nora said the response was something about, well, maybe we'll add a few red bricks. Um, but this idea, right, that there is a, uh, a corporation that belongs to no particular place, it's active in many places and just builds a kind of homo homogenous sort of building that appears in all of these various places with no particular relation to the history of the place, the architecture of the place. The same kind of experience that we have, um, I, my um, in-laws live in Pennsylvania, and so Ohio and Pennsylvania, and so we, we often make the drive up there as a family. And every suburban exit looks more or less the same, and I can always count on there being 
the same set of restaurants and a Ross and a Target and all of them sort of grouped in the same way that I might find uh, in Orlando, Florida, where I was from before I came here. And so there's this loss of the, the distinctiveness of place that also kind of bears on, on our situation. Um, and, and then I mentioned here the imperatives of the modern economy. Um, it's almost unthinkable, almost unthinkable, for someone to pass on a move if it promises better economic prospects, right? If I'm offered a job with a better salary, the default is to sort of say, well, of course I'm going to go there, right? And so we uproot our families and we move somewhere new for the sake of the economic imperative. And it may not be a matter of choice. It may be a matter of necessity. Uh, where there is no economic opportunity, now we have to, to pick up and move. So these forces and others, I think, have weakened our ties to place. They have uprooted us, as it were. All right, and we'll go through and talk about some of those in, in more um, detail. And of course, we're talking about this in, in the midst of a pandemic, which has also had its own effects, not only on our experience at the time. Uh, we all sort of joke, I think, to some degree about having completely lost our sense of when is when, um, where we are in the week, how long ago something happened. Um, but also even our relationship to place, I think, has uh, been affected by that. So those are some of the themes that we'll take up here. We'll talk about the significance of the body to place, uh, the significance of place to time, how these things are often connected to one another, um, how an old house maybe uh, can trigger memories that would have otherwise disappeared without that physical space to kind of generate and, and uh, recall them. We'll talk about the relationship between community and place. We'll think a little bit about the built environment, uh, how, how buildings, how architecture shapes our experience of place. But always uh, thread it through this, and we'll, we'll begin this thread today, and we'll, we'll take it right through the last class, will be this notion that, specifically if we think of place as Christians, on the one hand, as human beings, part of what I will want to argue is that as human beings, we are meant to have a relationship to place, and there is a, a relationship to place that is better and worse. And it will be my case that if we have too loose of a relationship to place, if we are unsettled in that way, um, then something is off, right? We'll be, we'll be prevented from flourishing as the kind of creatures that we are. But by the same token, we as Christians can't have too tight an attachment to place if for no other reason that, than our status as Christians in this world is fundamentally as pilgrims, as aliens, as strangers, as exiles, right? These are the, uh, the metaphors that, that the scriptures continually reuse to refer to our status as, as Christians. So there's, a, there's an interesting sort of navigation, I think moral and spiritual navigation that a Christian has to do um, with regards to the experience of place, and, and we'll have time to talk about that. Um, ultimately, I'll, I'll want to talk about a relationship to, um, to place either in the mode of a pilgrim or a tourist, these two sort of ideal types that reflect a very different kind of way of relating to place. But both, both of those uh, ideal types, the pilgrim and the tourist, um, they're both on their way in a certain way, but the way in which they relate to place, I think, varies. So that's a brief outline um, of the class and, and some of the thinking behind it. What I'd like to do uh, is to maybe just kind of take a moment, go around, um, introduce ourselves. Um, and then in, in, in the spirit of this, this, uh, this class, I would ask that maybe you just tell us a little bit about what your sort of history of place is, right? In other words, where have you been? Where have you come? Have you moved a lot? Have you been in one place your whole life? Um, have you given any thought to the idea of place? Um, and, 
that happened kind of haphazardly when I was doing the Zoom version of this class yesterday, but I thought, well, that's, that's not a bad way to, to kick off. So I'll, I'll start that by uh, introducing myself and, and giving a little bit of my, my own history with regards to place. Um, my name is Mike Sacasas, as I think most of you probably have picked up at this point, um, and I'm the associate director here at uh, the Study Center. And it's a role in which I've been um, very, very happy to have taken up and uh, have just passed sort of my one year anniversary back in July. So relatively new to the area. And a lot of that year uh, has obviously been spent in the weird sort of COVID conditions. Um, so I, I grew up in Miami. I'm the son of immigrants, which is also an interesting way of thinking about place uh, and rootedness, um, having sort of in my own family history kind of this rupture um, in place and culture. Uh, my parents were uh, from Cuba and they moved here in the late 60s, early 70s, and so I was born in Miami um, and lived there for uh, all of my childhood and adolescence and moved to Clearwater, uh, Florida, where I was in college for uh, three years and then moved to Orlando. Both of those moves were for school and I went to Orlando thinking that I would be there for a couple of years to do an MA and those couple of years turned into 20 and then I moved here. And so I've kind of gradually been zigzagging my way up the state of Florida, um, hoping that this is maybe even our, our last stop. Um, and, and it was interesting because in moving here, um, and, and I will add too that I, uh, having moved here last year, I had kept my house down there and rented it for a while just because it was the easiest thing to do. And so I recently sold it. And so this was kind of a, I won't say traumatic, but, but a significant thing, right? To, I had lived there for, for most of those 20 years and um, was married there, not married in that house, right, but uh, began my married life in that house and had my two little girls, one of which turned five yesterday, my oldest. Um, and so there are a lot of memories that are attached to a place like that. Um, and so you say goodbye to it and, and you kind of feel like you're, you're losing something, right? And however good this move was, and it was good, and I'm glad to be here. Um, in many ways, uh, but there was something, uh, a bit of a rupture that one feels in, in making a move like that. So I've been thinking a lot, even personally, apart from this class, about how we relate to, to place. And, and I confess that even in moving here, I had to overcome um, a little bit of hesitation, and, and Dr. Horner, who some of you knew, kind of helped me through that, uh, because I, I was, in fact, rather committed to the idea of just staying put uh, and the value of staying put, staying put in a church, even when you don't necessarily agree with everything that's happening or there's tension in relationships, uh, staying put in a marriage, staying put in a place, because that's, this is how you grow, this is how you build relation, uh, this is how you learn to love, this is how you um, learn to flourish, in fact, as a human being. So there was a little bit of, of a challenge even in making this move, which ultimately was um, important and, and good for us. So it's been on my mind, the idea of place, and has this kind of personal resonance for me now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I was, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, so I'll just kind of uh, fill in the gap. My, uh, my academic training was initially in theology, where I, I did an MA in theological studies, and then um, was in a PhD program that sort of studied the effects of uh, technology on society, broadly speaking. And so that's been where my kind of professional intellectual interests have, have lain. So having said that then, let me, um, I'll go around the room and uh, Cayman, right? I'll start with you. And you must be Emily, I assume, right? Okay. So we'll go around the room and, um, you know, feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself, what brought you to uh, the study center. And then if you have any sort of interesting kind of biographical um, information to share about your relationship to place and where you've been and where, um, how you think about that, how you think about your relationship to place. 
Where online, by the way, I am inclined to ask where? Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Okay, through the Pascal's Instagram? Yeah. All right, nice work, Lauren. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Brian. So how many years has that been in Gainesville now? Uh, well, that's great. Uh, 2005 when I came to freshman, so whatever, 15 years. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess it was, I think, like, it was two and a half years straight where I was back in Melbourne. Uh, I worked with the Christian Life and the other great support, and so I was, yeah. that was where I knew people went from. Yeah, <laughs> Good, yeah. Dex? I'm Dex. Separated from those childhood friendships in a way that I. Won't 
maybe this class will be therapeutic for you and help you kind of think through some of those things. Yeah. Um, and then Emily. South Florida, where you guys, I'm sorry, what, yeah, no, that's terrific, uh, and you know, it's funny, because I, um, I know I've articulated this to, uh, uh, to Dr. Warner at some point, but um, if I sort of think about, and, I, and I, I've been teaching for a long time, so I, talk, I taught in uh, secondary and as an adjunct for uh, many years, that's been my primary career, um, and as I thought about my teaching, at some point very early on, I realized, you know, if we think of teaching as just sort of delivering content, transferring content, um, it doesn't take long to realize that, you know, the content is going to wear away very quickly and depending on the student very soon after that test. Um, but that there is something else that goes on, I think, um, that, that maybe is more enduring. And it involves something like uh, a, a style of, of thought or a mode of thought, a way of thinking about things that uh, maybe becomes a little, again, it kind of sticks with you a little bit more than uh, particular facts or discrete sets of information um, or maybe even skills. And so in, in thinking about time and then now place, it's not that there's a set of answers or, or a set of propositions that I, I want us to take away from this. Um, you know, some sort of, you know, 10 principles to thinking rightly about, about place or something like that, right? It is rather just to activate a kind of thoughtfulness with regards to things that, you know, as we went around the room, and, and even as I, in the Zoom class yesterday with that set of students, another one of whom was in the material sciences uh, department. 
Well, we can compare notes later, yeah. Um, in any case, uh, everybody has a sort of story with regards to because it's at the heart of who we are as human beings, right? And so it just takes a matter, you know, sometimes it just takes somebody to sort of say, this is something to, to think about, and to think about it in terms of its moral and even maybe even theological dimensions, um, then, then all of a sudden there's a, a new way of, of experiencing this reality uh, that in some respects enriches the experience of both time and place. So, so if that happens, um, you know, that would be great. Um, one of the things, so I, what my, my usual habit is to have this handout, like the one I sent uh, via email, and the handout um, just has some quotes. And uh, they always serve kind of two purposes. You know, one is to kind of center our discussion um, and sort of kick off our thinking, as it were. Uh, and the other is to introduce you, uh, maybe introduce you, maybe not introduce you, but to, to draw our attention to at least a few thinkers that it would be good for you to sort of know, who I think have been, for me at least, good conversation partners. Not all of these are, are in that vein. For example, the first thing I have here is just from a local article uh, in, the, in the Gainesville Sun about the development back here. Um, so that's a little different. But Simone Weil and uh, Hannah Arendt specifically uh, in, in this handout, I think are, are two writers who uh, I would I'd be glad if, if just having a little taste of them here would, would lead you to read more of their work in the future. Um, but let me start with that little piece, uh, little paragraph from, from the article in the Gainesville Sun, and it is about the construction that's going on here and then in one other place in Gainesville. Um, and, and essentially it was uh, Kim Panzer, who I don't know otherwise except for this article, lamenting um, the, the, the damage in her view that is being done to, to what she calls Gainesville's spirit of place. Um, and then a sort of a call to action in some respects as well. And uh, there, there are a lot of interesting points in our article, but this paragraph struck me as uh, a good way of beginning to think about what is involved in, in something like the spirit of a place, where she, she writes about the thing that characterizes Gainesville's spirit of place is what she calls the texture of the city's fabric. Um, and it is interesting how often we resort to metaphor to try to get at these abstract concepts like a spirit of place. But she... She says, a friend once described Gainesville as a city built under trees. It is true, she said. Uh, our landscape, ours is a landscape that is close, pressing, and pervasive. It is also necessary. It shelters us from oppressive sun and strong winds, provides animals and ha with, a habitat, with habitats and captures rainwater. She says, Gainesville's fabric is multisensorial. Um, and, and that reminds us, too, that when we think about place, we, there are various levels at which we can think about that, right? The, the space in which we are gathered here, the way it's configured is, you know, one immediate level. Um, the, the layout of a city, the, and then also the way that that space is shared by human and non-human uh, creatures is important as well. And so she hints at that in this. And uh, she goes on and says, friends describe the sound of insects buzzing at night, the scent of a flower, the forest floors. Um, they enthuse about the warm, humid embrace of the summer air. You may or may not enthuse about that, but th there it is. Um, they recount stories of visits shared in front yards and along local streets. Because our landscape rarely allows distant views, those of us who love Gainesville value its insistent intimacy. This is a place so subtle it takes time to appreciate. Equally, it is so ephemeral, it is hard to explain, much less protect. Um, obviously, a, a, a resident of any other 
town or place in America can write something similar about it, right? It's, in her case, I don't think is that Gainesville is uniquely special, but rather that there is something special about Gainesville, and, and she would argue it's, it's connected to uh, its built environment, to the way that the city has historically sort of navigated its relationship to the environment, the natural environment around it, um, and then she worries that something about that is being lost uh, in, in what she thinks of as uh, heedless development, uh, development that's uh, insensitive to the environmental and, and historic aspects of the city. And, and in almost any place in America, you can find people lamenting the same thing. Um, you know, growing up um, in Miami, Miami looks very different now than it did when I was growing up there in the 80s. And, uh, parts of Orlando that I'm familiar with look very different uh, than they did even when I moved there uh, 15, 20 years ago. And so this is just a kind of feature of, of the modern American landscape. It changes and it changes uh, for better and for worse. And so uh, her lament, I think, is, is helpful to us in terms of expressing this sense of, of the importance of the value of place in a way that's obviously very unique and, and centered on Gainesville. In fact, right out our, outside our windows, as it were. Um, but I want to move from that very local sort of first kind of taste of thinking about what a, what a place means uh, to this, these lines from Simone Weil. Simone Weil is a, a hugely interesting individual. She, she lived in the 19, uh, early 20th century, so she died uh, in the 1930s um, or maybe into the 40s actually, uh, but she was just 30, in her early 30s when she passed away. Uh, she can be defined in various ways. Uh, she, she's certainly an intellectual and a writer, a philosopher of sorts. Uh, she had a kind of mystical conversion um, to Christianity later in her life. Um, and she is, you know, above all, very um, intense in her thinking and in her relation to people. And, and uh, she's, she's always a value to read. And so she was part of... Um, the, the French resistance or the French underground as uh, during World War II. And uh, towards the later part of the war, after the war, she was living in England and she was asked to draw up uh, essentially a kind of plan for the rebuilding of France after World War II. And so the product of that was what is now a, it's a book length report of sorts called the, in English translated The Need for Roots. And in there, she has this, this paragraph, uh, which I'll, I'll read and we can think about together where she has that line that I read earlier, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. Her whole work begins with this idea that uh, we, we need to build a society based on obligations as well as rights, and that our obligations need to be grounded in what our fellow human beings need, truly need, what is essential to the human being. And so she has a list of some of those things, but among them is this notion of being rooted which she thinks is maybe the most important and least recognized. So she went on to, to say that a human being has roots by virtue of his real, active, and natural participation in the life of a community, which preserves in living shape certain particular treasures of the past and certain particular expectations for the future. And it's interesting immediately to sort of recognize again there how these two themes of time and place are often sort of interestingly intertwined with one another. Uh, because here, Ve is suggesting that part of what, what roots us is not just that we are in a place, but it's in a place that is the, the, the locus of a community. And it's a community that both preserves elements of the past, but then also has a, a certain way of looking into the future. And that you are, you are rooted to the degree that you are a, an active 
natural and real participant in the life of such a community. And she says this participation is a natural one in the sense that it is automatically brought about by place, conditions of birth, profession, and social surroundings. In other words, by virtue of where you live, by virtue of the, of the family you were born into, the profession you belong to, and your social surroundings, you are emplaced into some kind of, uh, of community of this sort. And then every human being, she says, needs to have multiple roots. It is necessary for him to draw well nigh the whole of his moral, intellectual, and spiritual life by way of the environment of which he forms a natural part. It occurs to me that this analogy may or may not work to sort of clarify what, uh, what Simone Weil is saying here, but we have a, a tendency to think of animals having an ecosystem, right, that is, that is their home, and that they have um, a particular relationship to that ecosystem, that they, they are, their lives, their well-being uh, is dependent upon the health of the ecosystem. And if something goes wrong with the ecosystem, uh, then all of the various kinds of, uh, of, of plant life and animal life that are part of that are threatened, are jeopardized. Uh, in other words, the, the integrity of the ecosystem is a precondition of the flourishing of the creatures that live in it. What I think she is saying here is something very similar, but at, at the level of human well-being, right? That you, you need an ecosystem of this sort. It's not just that you need you know, appropriate levels of oxygen, appropriate levels of water, and appropriate levels of food, but that it also, for the human being, has, has almost like moral and spiritual dimensions to it. And to the degree that you have this sort of healthy human ecosystem, the human being, the human soul can flourish. And then to whatever degree that ecosystem begins to be, uh, is degraded, right, or, or falls, uh, certain elements of it are corrupted uh, or are, are no longer functioning, then just as the plant and, and animal life of an ecosystem would suffer under similar conditions, so the human being will suffer. All right? And I think that she makes a good point here. Now I'm curious, uh, and, and I paused here to, I'll pause here to sort of ask, uh, what is your reaction to that, right? So this claim that being rooted is somehow essential to the human being, to his moral life, spiritual life, uh, to her moral life, her spiritual life, um, I'm curious as to how that initially strikes you, as it, as it strikes you as something where you want to say, yeah, that's right, or eh, maybe, maybe not. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, certainly so.
No, no, no. That's right. Uh, it, it, it's your none. None of these um, individuals sort of are beyond reproach, right? We're not. We're not dealing with with holy scripture. Um, so let me. So I want to add. I immediately, in response to that, I want to add Hannah Arendt's quote um, because I think that's a good way of maybe sort of addressing that. So Hannah Arendt is a contemporary of Simone Weil's. Um, she uh, lived into longer into her life also a sort of philosopher. She's a Jewish-German emigre from Nazi Germany, um, moved to the United States for a while, was a stateless person, uh, unrecognized by her homeland, still not a citizen of any other country. So she also has a sort of interesting experience with place and belonging herself. And she, her most famous work, uh, I, would, I would say, is The Origins of Totalitarianism. Um, it's a big fat book sort of exploring the rise of Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, uh, and trying to understand where, how did this happen, right? How, how did Western civilization yield these two uh, horrific realities, experiences of, of uh, human experiences? And it is interesting the degree to which she, her, her answer is complex, but, but it involves this, a sense of rootlessness and also loneliness, right? So here's what she writes. She says, under, and this is just one small little tidbit of that, right? She says, under the most diverse conditions and disparate circumstances, we watch the development of the same phenomena. Homelessness on an unprecedented scale, rootlessness to an unprecedented depth. Right now, part of what she is talking about, thank you, Lauren, um, part of what she is talking about, she's writing about the, the early 20th century, right? So the years leading up to this cataclysm that is the Second World War. Um, and she is, she is looking at a, 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 a new phenomena, right, in Western society where people are displaced from their homes, either uh, by economic necessity uh, or by oppression in their, in their place of birth. Uh, or by famine, or we, we are now currently living through a pretty remarkable period of human, forced human migration as well. Uh, and so something similar is happening there. People are being forced out of their more traditional ways of life by urbanization and industrialization into cities where they are uh, a sort of a, a member of a faceless crowd. They, they, they're not seen, as one uh, person has put it, as another person has put it. Uh, and so that leads to this uprootedness. They're separated from the, the kinds of, of, of cultural experiences that would feed them, give them a sense of self, ground them, root them, if you will. Um, and in that condition, in Arendt's analysis, they become, uh, those are the conditions, I should say, right, that totalitarian governments sort of flourish in. In one respect, because they, they, can, they have offered, historically in the 20th century, in some respects, they offered a way of addressing that need of the human soul. And so if you have the sense that you have lost your place or that your home has changed or you don't have a home or that your society is changing too fast for you, um, there, there is this sort of 
strand of 20th century totalitarianism that, that you know, involves a return of, of blood and soil, right? And it has a kind of toxic, what I would say, a kind of toxic nostalgia, right, of reclaiming the, the, the old days, the old ways, uh, the true German experience, right? Um, and in that respect, if you are already sort of uprooted, and, and if that rootedness is a need of the human soul, and you have experienced it, the uprooting, then your soul craves the satisfactions, right, that it's missing, right? It craves what this, this source of, um, of, of, um, of depth and rootedness that it's, that it's lacking. And so in that space, someone who promises you that opportunity, right, to return you to that, uh, has great power. Um, you know, without, without wanting to necessarily overstate the case, I, I would say we see similar dynamics in our own society at present. And so the, the way I think that, um, I think Harent, uh, excuse me, Hannah Harent, uh, helps us sort of answer this question of, of whether or not, you know, Simone Weil is saying something obvious or not. I think yes, right? In one respect, she's saying, hey, place matters and, and you know, that should be important to you. And, and yet I think we're, I'm not sure we, we have quite, fully internalized or recognized the consequences of displacement or uprootedness, how much is in fact at stake, right? How deeply the human soul actually needs this sense of rootedness that she is, um, she is expressing. And then my other comment, and I'll pause there and, and kind of let us uh, wrap up with that, um, is that I do find that this is oddly, it is at odds with what generally feels like the, the the default American approach to place, which is, well, I'll, I'll put it this way, right? Movement and, uh, and restlessness has been at the heart of the human experience, right? Oh, excuse me, the American experience, right? Founded by people who left their place searching for a better way of life, at least sort of that's the story, right? Um, once that was settled, then the frontier becomes this massive element of the human, of the American experience. Um, movement against that frontier, starting your life over again mul in multiple ways, that, that kind of restless energy, that willingness to pick up and move has characterized, I think, how, how Americans have often thought. Underneath of that, there's also been this sort of small hometown kind of mythos as well that's been a part of that. Um, but I don't know that that Vey's point is as obvious maybe as, as it might appear to somebody who sort of already is inclined to agree with it, in part because the, I think the American experience testifies to something very different, uh, an attitude that sort of says, this place is as good as the next. In fact, the next place is always better than this one, right? That kind of thing. Um, now, I realize we're kind of up against our time here and uh, did not quite make, make my way through all, everything here, which is fine. That's kind of par for the course. So we'll pick up with that next time around. But any final thoughts on that? I'm in, in, Brian.
I think that the story that we tell about place, how we, perhaps even we may say how we philosophize about place or how we reason about place, even, um, you know, in, in terms even of the way that Emily, you were describing sort of thinking about your move, you know, how, on, on what basis do you make that choice, right? So all of that matters. But I think there's also, it's not just the story about the place, right? Because that story has to kind of rub up against genuine experience, right? And so, uh, and, and whether or not there is a sort of genuine need, so is, is the need fabricated or does that kind of deformed story play off of a genuine need that is related to a, an actual concrete experience of place, uh, place in its widest sense, including community and traditions and all of that stuff, yeah. Um, but as you say, we'll have, we'll have plenty of time to flesh this stuff out. Um, and so I'll, uh, I'll wrap us up with that and then I'm happy to hang around and chat if you want. But um, we will meet again um, next week. And if, if there's a week in which you can't make it, uh, there's a Zoom version of this class that happens on Tuesdays. And then also the, the audio will go out via our, um, our newsletter, which you can subscribe to through the study center. So just know that that's available to you. But um, again, yeah. Glad you're here, and uh, good to meet you guys, and uh, see you guys again. And uh, we'll, I think, be joined by a couple more next time around. But um, have a great week, and thanks for coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no.